0: Hello and welcome to The Landed Podcast. I'm John Montgomery, co-founder of Landed, a travel company specializing in tailor-made journeys throughout Latin America and the Antarctic. At Landed, we're devoted to exploring these regions, searching out exceptional experiences and locations for our clients. The Landed Podcast profiles some of our favorite places and brings you conversations with friends we've made along the way, explorers, artists, and visionaries. If you're a repeat listener, welcome back. If you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. Joining us today is Dolores Gangotena. Dolores, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for your time.
1: It's a pleasure, John. I mean, if uh, there is anything that I can do uh, for your uh, listeners uh, to you know to learn about the, uh, you know to learn more about the Galapagos, it's a pleasure for me to uh, you know to be with you today.
0: Oh, thanks. Are you in in Quito today?
1: Yes, I am in Quito in the office, which is where our main office is located, even though we constantly go to the Galapagos where the operation is.
0: Now, you're the vice president, the commercial vice president, but you're also the founder of Quasar. And you run, at this time, you run two yachts in the Galapagos, right? The Grace and the Evolution.
1: Correct. Yes, that is correct. The grace is for 18 guests, and the evolution is for 32
0: guests. Right. But you're really a pioneer of tourism in the Galapagos. When did you first visit? Uh,
1: Actually, John, the story goes, uh, um, you know, backwards for so, so many years. My love to to the Galapagos really starts in 1969. You know, I was a 17-year-old girl. Uh, we were in school and a biology teacher uh, mentioned Charles Darwin and the importance of the Galapagos in his theory of evolution. And somehow my mind made a click. And uh, I started going to this very mysterious uh, destination in mind. Uh, Keep in mind that at that time the Galapagos was barely known. Amazingly enough, even in Ecuador, I mean, you seldom would hear anything about the Galapagos in Ecuador, and I think the Galapagos were more known in uh, the United Kingdom than they were anywhere else in the world. Basically, because of the uh, name Charles Darwin, which was so linked together with Galapagos, and that's how my uh, uh, you know my interest in the Galapagos started. Um, you know, a couple of friends. Uh, um, at the beginning and myself started thinking wouldn't it be fabulous to to visit this place uh, what the teacher had mentioned you know the stories it actually it blew our imaginations and we just wanted to visit the place in the you know at the end it was it ended up being four of us and the teacher going to the Galapagos on a navy boat in 1969 John
0: yeah, if I remember the pictures right, it was all it was you plus three of your friends, your your girlfriends from school, and your teacher, right I mean
1: absolutely, and it was on a navy boat that had a cannon on deck uh, it was actually a boat used at the time to take to the Galapagos dry birds, cement, things that the three thousand people living in the islands needed at the time I mean in Galapagos. Nowadays, you are able to find a little bit more agricultural businesses in the Galapagos, which in my own way of thinking, I think it has damaged some of the species of the Galapagos. Nevertheless, that comes with growth and with uh, more population. But at the time, everything, absolutely everything, with the exception of fish and maybe uh, oranges, everything else had to come from the continent uh, to the Galapagos. So that boat... Uh, had, you know, used to go to the Galapagos every two months, more or less, taking everything that the people of the Galapagos needed at the time. It was amazingly enough a very healthy population. So actually, that makes us realize how much more do we need, uh, you know, to, to be healthy individuals. But, the, you know, lots of fresh air, water, fresh fish, and, uh, you know, a few fruits and vegetables. I mean, that's really what the. Uh, The people in the Galapagos lived on, and it's amazing what we found when we arrived to the Galapagos. It was just an incredible place. Um, You know, that surprised us all.
0: And when you talk to your parents about the scheme of going to the Galapagos, first of all, how long were you gone, and how did you convince your parents?
1: Okay, convincing my parents, that was a lot harder than organizing the trip, John. Keep in mind, uh, you know, (laughs) Figure their age, their generation, and just imagining that one of her, uh, their daughters were, go- was going to go with friends and a teacher to such a remote place on a navy boat. It was actually it took a lot of convincing. Actually, the teacher even came home, talked to my parents, and the truth is that it took us months that I have to admit to convince them. But long, uh, you know, in the long term, they ended up given up and they said okay you go and we ended up going for 21 days john because wow. um we had to navigate from where to the galapagos and that was a three-day venture also the return so out of those 21 days six days were just traveling on a, you know on open sea an extremely boring navigation i mean at the time Uh, You know, it was a navy boat. No, uh, you know, no activities whatsoever for passengers because the boat was not made for that. But we had fun, believe me. If you would ask me if I would repeat the uh, the adventure, yes, I would. I mean, if I would have that age, because uh, uh, you know, at this time of life, I'm sixty-three already. I don't think I would really repeat the little comfort, physical comfort that we had on board.
0: So. After three days of navigation, you arrive where? San Cristobal?
1: Actually, San Cristobal. That was the first. uh, At the time, uh, John, it was not like it is today that Puerto Ayora is the most important uh, village in the Galapagos. At the time, it was San Cristobal, which was the capital of the Galapagos. still is. But you had the governor and the governmental authorities living in uh, San Cristobal. And the Charles Darwin uh, Foundation had just started with the station. So,
0: so you arrive in San Cristobal, and then were you able to go as far as Isabella on that voyage?
1: No, we did not. No, we didn't go to Isabella because we could only go close by the uh, the places that were inhabited by uh, uh, by colonos, by the people who were living in the Galapagos at the time. This Navy boat actually had um, their uh, their task on this trip was, was to leave the dry goods on the villages, we were left on our own, and I mean, even in Cristobal, wherever we touched land, they would say, okay, girls, off you go, we'll see you in four hours. Mm. And we were just left with a little bag, with a sandwich and some water, and off we went, John. Nowadays, and you have visited the Galapagos in the last years. The, the wildlife is as tame as they can be, but then they don't approach, uh, approach you anymore. At that time, we were a curiosity for the, the wildlife, so they will approach you. I remember birds standing on my shoulders, on my head, you know, and you not moving, because the truth is that I was terrified, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect. But actually, they just stood there, sort of uh, took a uh, look at you, and then they flew away. And the sea lions that would just come to us, they want us. So we touched everything which you're not supposed, uh, supposed to touch nowadays, but it was the most incredible experience uh, that we could have had, uh, John. It, it was magic.
0: So you're, you're there for th- three weeks on this voyage, and you say to yourself, I- I've got to come back. How long until your next voyage?
1: Actually, it was a year and a half after our second trip, was on a boat that, again, had been uh, funded by the Ecuadorian Navy, but more um, designed for tourism. And this boat was for about 60 passengers. I mean, there were cabins that were quadruple. Again, on this boat, uh, we had to go uh, sharing a big bathroom, but it was a lot more comfortable than the Cambelli. This boat, for example, we would share showers there was uh female showers and uh, showers for males like in the army really one on the side of the other but it was uh, you know if i would have to compare the physically both experiences which was most comfortable absolutely the one we took one and a half years afterwards in the in the way of comfort but in the way of experience the first one was the best experience i've ever had in the galapagos and i think it it was because of the freedom we had to just disembark and go wherever we wanted. By 1970, the Galapagos National Park started organizing trips um, with naturalist guides. So Metropolitan Touring was actually the first uh, operator offering uh, tours to the Galapagos, and we stayed in the Galapagos for 15 days. Again, taking in consideration that we had to travel three days uh, you know, to the Galapagos and three days returning.
0: So how many trips did you make in all uh, in your early years?
1: Before we decided to start Wazer, actually um, I took about eight trips, uh, John. Eight trips in between 1969 and until 1986 when the company was started. Even though The last trip before we started the company, we traveled on a turn-of-the-century sailboat. Mm. During the past eight trips, John, I have to admit, I seldom had the thought of opening a tourism operation. Uh, That was actually my husband's idea. My, uh, My love for the Galapagos was more... In, uh, you know, and my interest was more the enjoyment of the closeness to the wildlife, the uh, snorkeling with the with the underwater life in the Galapagos, uh, getting involved with the Charles Darwin Foundation on uh, conservational issues. That was my main interest. But on this last voyage we took in the Galapagos in 1984, we went on this sailboat. And, uh, yes, I have to admit that it was an an incredible experience. After we finished that that cruise, we stayed with Eduardo in the island. This is your
0: husband, Eduardo.
1: Exactly. This is my husband, Eduardo. And he said, wouldn't it be wonderful to uh, be able to offer this experience uh, to to guests? I mean, to people who really enjoy, uh, you know, uh, this nature. I mean, this amazing uh, experience.
0: So, Dolores, one of the arguments that I've heard um, frequently is that, you know, Galapagos is such a special place, such a rare place, and and I totally agree with that, um, that it should all be protected, and it should be off-limits to human visitation and development. Tell me your thoughts about that, because we've talked about this, but I, I want to share your comments with the audience.
1: Okay. Actually, you have touched my heart right there, John. Uh, if you listen to my story, logically, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, there should uh, Galapagos should be totally off limits for anything that impacts negatively the wildlife. What the government wanted to do is to say, okay, we hear the conservational side so much against, against fishing within the marine reserve of the Galapagos, that what we need to do is provide jobs for these people in the tourism
0: activity. Dolores, it seems to me that after the big growth that went from the mid-'80s to the early 2000s, you've had more restrictions put in place that limit the number of people coming to the islands, both for tourism and for residents. When you go to the towns there, they're surrounded by yellow stakes pounded in the ground, which show the limits of where uh, human habitation, human development can, can occur. Um, it seems to me, though, that a lot of the criticism that comes from uh, tourism in the Galapagos is tied to, let's call it uh, entry-level tourism, where people come for a really low rate. They stay at a hotel or a guest house or a hostel that may not be properly licensed and may not treat um, you know, sewage, wastewater correctly, and that um, you know promote kind of low budget touring that doesn't follow the policies and procedures outlined by the national park.
1: is is really so bad, John, so bad. I have heard, believe me, sometimes I go to the airport and I see uh, these young people and I ask them, did you enjoy it? And they say, you know something, it really did not fulfill my expectations. I thought it was going to be so much better. I was expecting so much more. They've seen these documentaries about Galapagos, they have heard, uh, uh, you know, so many other people who have visited the Galapagos saying, my God, you have to go to this place. And then these young people go, and the Galapagos that they see, it's a disaster, zone. It's not the Galapagos we would like to sell, it's not the Galapagos that we feel people have to experience to really value what we have there.
0: No, that's a real mismatch, and you can imagine that all the brochures, all the marketing that's done on those conventions focuses on the environmental you know, uniqueness of, of Galapagos, so kind of a mismatch. It's
1: um, totally a mismatch.
0: I have thoughts about how people should visit Galapagos, and this has been something I've cared about for uh, more than a dozen years, but, but you've been doing this for longer than me. Um, you must have deeply held beliefs about what the best way is to experience the islands. What do you recommend to people?
1: Actually, I recommend them to go on board boats, uh, John. And uh, I would love that your audience does not think that I am biased because we actually operate boats. It's because I, uh, you know, I myself, having been for so many times to the Galapagos, I see that this is the only way that you will personally realize what is the importance of the Galapagos, the reason why Charles Darwin thought of his theory of evolution while visiting the Galapagos. It's the only way to see how finches differ, the different sort of shells of tortoises, the flightless cormorants, the marine iguanas, the penguins. I mean, if, you know, and when you see the different uh, um, uh, the different uh, surroundings every morning. That you wake up on a different setting, you see how the islands differ so much one from another, and you will see that as much as they seem extremely similar, they're totally different. I mean, the winds, everything that made each island so unique, so different. So that is the only way. Because if you, um, you know, keep in mind that certain navigations um, are about 110 marine miles. That means about eight seven, eight hour navigation, if you don't do it on a boat staying on land, you will not be able to see it. Mind you, I am not talking negatively about staying on land. If somebody just cannot bear the thought of being on board a boat, then get into the Galapagos, uh, stay on land, but actually make sure that the operator is the, uh, you know, is the right one, is the one that's going to offer you the most of the Galapagos while being on land. But if you're really interested in the wildlife of the Galapagos and into seeing what made these islands so interesting to Charles Darwin and so important for the theory of evolution, then visit them on board a boat.
0: Right. I, I We do work very closely with Galapagos Safari Camp, but when you know Michael and Stephanie and you understand the way they operate that property, reforestation, water reclamation, water treatment... Um, They are are
1: some of the uh, land operators that are worth booking a trip to the Galapagos with.
0: Right. But I agree with you that there are so many special places and that the geography is so different. Uh, Not everybody realizes that the islands are born in the West. They they erupt from the the seafloor and break the surface in the West. They grow up. They become lush and green. And then as time goes by, they drift towards the east and erode down and become more arid. But at every stage of their evolution, uh, they they become ideal habitat for some species. So if you want to see the real cycle of life of these islands, you have to do that by boat.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, John, because... That's uh, you know when you navigate also the opportunities of finding a school of dolphins or whales. You know that uh, we normally put the dinghies down and immediately take our guests towards uh, whatever is happening out there. It might be a freedom presence, it might be the dolphins, it might be the whales, and uh, uh, passengers sometimes enjoy snorkeling with uh, a big school of dolphins. I tell you, in the month of uh, past February. We Norco, with about 150 dolphins. I mean, believe me, it brought tears to the eyes of all of the guests, you know, to have this incredible experience. And it was just in the middle of the ocean. It's such an incredible opportunity, which you have when you're on board. It, it's, your your it,
0: crews are, are so skilled at making the experience um, special for the guests. In fact... That was the big reason we just did... In fact, I, I, this week, you and I booked a charter for a guest uh, who's bringing, I think, seven friends. And one of the main reasons they chose your boat, the Grace, which is a beautiful classic yacht built by Camper and Nicholson in the 1920s, th- the reason they chose that yacht was the crew and the stories I could tell about their efforts to yes. tailor the trip.
1: And believe me, they will enjoy every minute of it because... Uh... Uh, They know that we are there to comply with uh, the guests' uh, wishes, you know. And what is it, somebody going to the Galapagos, what is it that they want? They want not to miss any single opportunity of seeing the wildlife, you know. And sometimes it happens outside our route. You know, if we're going towards uh, uh, the next destination and uh, on Midway something is going on, we divert route, you know, no matter that, you know, we use more fuel or no matter that it means more work for our crew. They know that that is what is going to give it so much pleasure to our guests. And actually, the, the things that you get to see, John, are just out of this world. I mean, I normally compare the Galapagos to Africa and I say, Things just happen in front of your eyes. And uh, the reason also, because on both uh, our boats, we have so much outside of space, is because we want our passengers to be 99% of their time to spend it outside. Because everything happens all of a sudden, you know. You see a shark or uh, turtles or dolphins or whatever, it's happening all over the boat. And it's so nice that passengers enjoy every single minute of their interaction with this wildlife.
0: When, when you and I have planned future trips together to sail in the Galapagos, we've talked about some of the central, some of the northern parts on Isabella. What are some of your favorite locations in the islands and, and why?
1: Actually, um, John, to me, the western side of Isabella. And if you ask me why, it's because it's still in my mind, in my eyes, it's so remote. There's nothing. I mean that is the the part that i love most about the galapagos mainly because i don't see lights of any other boats i don't see lights of any other villages which mind you on uh, many of the the visitor sites on the central islands or in the island of tower let's say uh, we don't see but yes we are there with uh, with more boats it's small because we tried to plan the itinerary so that we would not actually cross paths with the larger boats in the islands but again, you probably have, a, 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 you know, a small boat close by yours. Whereas when we are in the western side of Isabella, it's us and only us. And that to me, it's priceless. You know, just navigating uh, the Bolivar channel where you get to see, I would say 80% of the time we navigate that channel, we find whales, we, we find dolphins. That area is so rich and it's because of the currents just converging in the Western side of Isabela, So the wildlife is very rich and you see, you know, the flightless cormorant, swimmings, and the penguins. And uh, I love it. And it's like being in Jurassic Park. I mean, the, the, really looking at the how the Isabella Island and Fernandina Island are built with these volcanoes on top and the lava all over the place. Believe me, to me, it's, it's just, I feel like I'm transported to 5 million years ago. Yeah,
0: it's another another dimension.
1: Exactly. It's another dimension. That is true.
0: It's a place that once you visit it, you have a deep um, desire to protect it.
1: And, Absolutely.
0: Uh, and all wild areas.
1: And actually, uh, John, Isabella Island at this point is the one with the most biodiversity of any other island, the Galapagos. So we need to protect that island.
0: And it's sort of an island that's emerged and has now um, reached its let's call it its evolutionary prime it's got rainforest and deserts and rich coastal areas so mangrove areas it's it's uh it's kind of got it all
1: yeah it's got it all and as much as if you would ask me you know it, the, you know the wildlife that you would see in that area is it superior to the one that you could see on the central island maybe not but to me, it is that idea of being totally alienated from the normal world, that is what makes it so attractive to me. Because mind you, when you go, for example, to Tower Island, my God, the wildlife on that island, uh, John, it's incredible. It's uh, Espanola Island, Hood Island, uh, you know, Santiago, each island is so beautiful. But it, it's that, to me personally, it's that feeling of being millions of years ago, uh, in, in the world that is what makes it so attractive to me specifically right
0: right the, it's the uh, the sense of remoteness of um, uh, of being in another time and um, really interacting with a nature I think like no place else
1: yes absolutely that's actually uh, you know the, the beauty of the Galapagos is that you feel safe interacting with nature when snorkeling you know with the dolphin with the sharks right there when diving sure. i mean being so close to them and not being afraid that is the beauty of it that is really mm-hmm. what makes you uh, so close to nature and, you know i when i first visited the galapagos i returned home uh, to quito john totally changed and i think it is what happens to most of our guests you know they return home and they realize what nature is all about because is not, uh, when you go to Africa, it's a different feeling. It's the, the big game. It's the, my God, the lion eating the uh, new or whatever. You you know, whatever, uh, you know, you might think uh, of, wow, the, the wildlife is scary here in Africa. It's totally the opposite in the Galapagos. It gives you such a peaceful feeling. And you realize that, uh, you know, it is a wildlife that invites you to be with them because they pose no threat to you whatsoever
0: no it's more like eden it's more like yeah. uh, they they approach you out of curiosity and and even on our last visit last year with my daughters we had um animals come up and and hover you know birds hover right above your head or sea lions swim and play with you or sea turtles kind of we had a sea turtle sort of push us out of the way because it wanted important. to get to some something to eat and uh we've had I've had in the past uh, marine iguanas scurry across my my uh, shoe while I was at the beach. You know, uno- I wasn't even aware that they were there. So I was on the trail, but they needed to get to the coast. So uh, it's a still a place where you can have a, quite a bit of close observation of wildlife.
1: It's it's a feeling. It's a feeling that you know you're part of them. I mean, it's not like when you feel you're an intruder you're part of that wildlife. I mean, for them, you're just one another thing sitting right there and they pay no attention to you. They go all over you. And it's, uh, you know, I pose no threat to you. You pose no threat to me. You're part of this wonderful world. Uh, and this is what it's all about. That's what the Galapagos makes you feel about you know, it makes you feel that you belong. That there is no reason for us to fight with wildlife. I mean, we can actually live together without fighting and uh, and killing. That is my feeling, you know. Because you sit there, and as you say, John, things start passing by in front of you. You know, it's like, excuse me, this is you know, I want to use this road, so get get away from my from my path. That's what you
0: feel all about. I mean, they they couldn't care less about you. Right. I mean, I've had people say to me, you you know, the beautiful places on the earth are already gone. And I think, uh, no, they're not gone, and we need to protect them as much as we can. And Galapagos is a place that's accessible, um, not easily, but accessible, where you can experience the magic of the natural world And it leaves you with this strong impression that you must protect it. We've had people come back from trips to Galapagos in tears, just so excited about what they've experienced and wanting to send other people to to feel that same life-changing interaction.
1: Totally correct, John. And I tell you, um, we... uh, personally and as a company at the moment, we see that the only way to protect the islands at this moment is to educate the population. I mean, people living in the Galapagos at this moment are going to stay there. Uh, Salaries and, you know, actually way of living in the Galapagos, it's a lot more attractive than what they would get here in the continent. So those people are not going to move away. So we need to concentrate on educating the youth of the Galapagos. Uh, organizations like the Charles Darwin Foundation, World Wildlife Fund, Galapagos Conservancy, are very much into uh, the wildlife uh, and the um, you know plants and uh, animals of the Galapagos. Whereas I think there is uh, lots of things to do. with the the population of the Galápagos. We are very involved with the uh, Boy Scout. It's called the Boy Scout Program, but actually uh, it accepts boys and girls in the Galápagos because we feel that if the young population of the islands are well-educated and they are able to experience the Galápagos, John, they will become protectors of the Galápagos. When you go now to the Galápagos, you find someone who is 15 years old and they live in Puerto Bacaricio and say, well. Do you know what the the Galapagos are famous for? They know that it's because of the wildlife, but they haven't seen anything but San Cristobal, John. So, what we're trying to do is taking these young kids on board the boats so that they are, you know, they see it with their eyes and they actually say, wow, this is what all of these tourists are coming to the Galapagos for. So, we need to keep on working with them. The Scout program does not uh, work directly with the schools of the Galapagos, even though we're helping on that, but it works especially when the kids have free time, weekends, summer vacations, because when you are, let's say that you live in Puerto Vaquerizo and you are in between 12 and 15 years of age, you've seen the island north, south, east, of west. I mean, you've done it all. Believe it or not, John, these young kids go for alcohol, cigarettes, Drugs, which amazingly enough, and you know, it's are, are abundant in the Galapagos. It's amazing when you realize that, uh, you know, thank goodness that the FARC now has signed the peace treaty in Colombia because FARC used to use the Galapagos as a transit spot to taking the drugs to the United States. Uh, so uh, this, you know, has slowed down, but there is still lots to do. So drugs were very available to the young people of the Galapagos. So they were starting to go into the bad road. So what we're doing now with the scout program is, you know, we're taking them, uh, you know, to to be trained as dive masters, naturalist guides. On the weekends, we do camping outings uh, so that they learn how to survive out in the the wilderness. We teach them, uh, you know, we give them activities so that they're busy when they're free. And that way, you know, I have to admit that I, you know, it brought tears to my eyes when Carlos Hill, who is in charge of, uh, he was actually born in the Galapagos. uh, You know, when I asked him how, uh, you know, how he was so much into the scouts, he said, Dolores, because I don't, I actually don't care much about what the Boy Scout program is all about. My father was a scout. And I am a scout. He taught me, you know, how to live in the wilderness, how to get, uh, you know, so surprised by things that happen all over our eyes. And sometimes we just don't see because we're busy with music or drugs or whatever. So uh, that is why I want to teach these kids to really value what they have in their surroundings. And it has worked, John. And uh, for example, Carlos told me once, Dolores, we should feel so proud because there are so many girls that we have kept from early pregnancies. And an early pregnancy, John, probably means the end of the life of a young girl. If you're 14, 15, and you get pregnant, that's the end of your life, Job. They will have to quit their studies and dedicate themselves to raising that kid, and that's the end of it. And, uh, you know, young girls who are bright, who could actually think of something about their future, that they could actually study something, and yes, be mothers if they want, but at the right age. So those are things that we are putting a lot of emphasis on. We take to the Galapagos several um, psychologists who work very well with with young people, and in a way work with them so that they tell them, why is it that they should, you know, that they should not be doing certain things which they feel that are normal because nobody has told them that it is not normal to do so. So uh, um, it's working extremely well and we, we really we keep on planning and we uh, keep on working hard with this scout program because we would love it to, to grow as much as we can really. We would love that our next step is to actually have a scout program in Puerto Ayora also and in, in Puerto Villamil in the southern part of Isabela Island. So, because that is the generation that is going to keep the Galapagos pristine, John. They are the ones who are going to be living in the Galapagos. Right.
0: Dolores, you're you're a great friend, and uh, a pioneer and inspiration, and a defender, an ambassador for the Galapagos. And I thank you. And I thank you for your time.
1: Thank you so much, John. And uh, actually, you cannot imagine how much I value this interview because i hope that i get to someone's heart you know that they are actually see that we still have fabulous natural places in the world that are worth keeping john and for keeping them it requires the the work of us all it's not only myself or the scouts it means us all working to keep these natural present places pristine
0: thank you dolores best to your family
1: Thank you. Thank you, John, and you're a fabulous friend, and I know that you're a fabulous supporter of all of these, pro- all of these programs. Thank you so much, my love to your wife and your beautiful three girls.
0: <laughs> four, four girls. Four
1: girls, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yes. You have so many, you know, it's but they're just so, so beautiful. Yeah, they're just so beautiful.
0: If you'd like to know more about custom travel in Latin America and the Antarctic, reach out to us at landedtravel.com. Since 2006, Landed's success has been built on word-of-mouth referrals. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to rate the podcast or share it with a friend. The Landed podcast is sponsored by our friends at Bluffworks, makers of travel clothing designed to go the distance and help you focus on the journey ahead. See their catalog of travel clothing at bluffworks.com.